If I could tell you how to make the most of your time, would you be interested? This passage that we're going to look at in Ephesians 5 today talks about that. And uh, if you're following along in the message notes that are provided there, here's just a couple of things in those opening lines before we look at that passage we're going to look at today in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And here it is. How do we wisely make the most of the time, if you're following along? How do we wisely make the most of the time? I mean, I bet you wrestle with this, don't you? I mean, I talk to so many people, we are so busy. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're making the most of the time. And so how do we wisely make the most of the time? And here's why. If you're following along, it's so easy to foolishly waste our lives in these crazy days. It's so easy to foolishly waste our lives in these crazy days. Uh, I mean, I, I was reading this week that uh, the average teenager today spends nine hours on their phone or tablet a day. It's a new world, friends. Uh, I, I didn't need a tablet or a phone uh, before to waste time. Uh, but now that I have one, I'm finding I'm quite skilled at it. Anybody relate? You just, you can just like, wow. And I'm not saying phones can't be used for good. I read my Bible on my phone. I text people encouraging things. I mean, you can do good things, but you can also waste a truckload of time. And it's just, how do we, how do we make the most of the time? There's so many things. There's so many possibilities of the way we can spend any given day, right? So how do we, in this scripture passage we're going to look at today, tells us the way you and I can make the most of our time, and it tells us in five words that I hope you take to your car today. And the five words are, be filled with the Spirit. And so I want to look at this passage today. In fact, I want to invite you to open your Bibles if you brought them, and if you didn't bring a Bible, hopefully there's some black Bibles in the seat rack near you. We invite you every Sunday to engage with the Bible and to open it up and be a first-hander to put your own finger on the text. If you didn't bring a Bible, the Black Bible is page 816. And we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And this message is called Make the Most of the Time. But we have been making our way, if you haven't been with us, through this year, most of the year, we've been spending our time in Ephesians, chapters 1 through 6. And so here we are now in chapter 5. And we're learning how to live out of our new identity. For those of us that have trusted in Christ, we're learning how to live out of our new identity with all the resources that come to us when we trust in Christ. But it is possible. I mean, the very first chapter says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then it begins to show in those first three chapters all those blessings. In the last three chapters, it tells us how to live this out, how to live from a different identity than the old one that we carry around sometimes. And so it's possible to have all these incredible spiritual resources and never use them, never really experience them in our lives. And so maybe some of you remember back in 2003, there was a Super Bowl commercial that was hilarious, and it was a spoof on the Castaway film, and FedEx took advantage of that. Watch this, if you would. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. 
and I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Nothing really, just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Five years he spent, and he had those the whole time. Didn't know it. And you and I can live years without knowing all we have in the Holy Spirit. So he wants us to be filled with the Spirit and not to miss out on living each day in a purposeful way. So we're going to look at these verses in just a minute. Would you pray with me before we do? And let's ask God to be our teacher. Lord, there's a lot at stake. Just the number of lives that are in this room right here, including my own. There's a lot of hours represented here, a lot of days represented here. There's a lot at stake. We could waste a lot or we could make the most of each and every day. So it's our humble prayer that you now will fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can teach the way you want me to. Fill each one of us with the Holy Spirit so we can live in the best possible way. In your name we ask. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, read this together. Verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5. I'll read it. When we come to verse 18, would you read it out loud with me? Uh, and then I'll finish the text. Here we go. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. It implies that you and I can live unwisely. Making the most of every opportunity. Some of your translations say making the most of the time. Because the days are evil. That word there means twisted, crazy. Different than God intended. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then it tells us what the Lord's will is. Would you read verse 18 with me? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to explain that word, debauchery. Don't worry. Verse 19, it goes on, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Who is the Spirit and what does it mean to be filled with Him? This has been a subject that has polarized. Many people are confused, many others. If you would, if you turn to the back of your message notes, you'll see that I've listed there how the Holy Spirit is referenced in every chapter in Ephesians. And so this is not something that has never come up before. He didn't wait till chapter 5 to talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the opening chapter, when he talks about the blessings that God has given us, he says, look, you were marked with the Holy Spirit as a seal. And then it told us in chapter 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he was the one that sealed you for the day of redemption. That means that when you and I believe in Jesus Christ, we put our trust in him. Instead of relying on ourselves any longer, we trust in Christ. At that moment, God baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and lives in our lives. 
And therefore, that means that you and I can have the Holy Spirit without being led by the Holy Spirit. We can have the Holy Spirit without benefiting from his direction in our life. And I just wanted to see some of these other places. What's interesting to me is that if you look at the context of where he places this, he's telling us right before he's going to talk to us about some of the greatest teaching on marriage, family, work, and how to battle with the enemy. Therefore, he says, don't try and do life without being filled with the spirit that God gave you in Jesus Christ. Make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you want to turn back to the other front of the notes there, what I want you to see as we think about be filled with the Spirit is this. If you're following along, getting drunk may be fun in the short run, but it ruins in the long run if you're following along. Getting drunk may be fun in the short run, but it ruins in the long run. A lot of times it's so helpful to know that when this letter was written by Paul to the Ephesian Christians, the context is huge. They lived in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the Greek centers where everything, where people went to because they thought it's a cool city. Let's go to Ephesus. And it was wine country. And in wine country, the God that was worshiped there, many people lifted their glasses to the wine God Bacchus. So it was common to have festivals and all kinds of drinking parties in Ephesus. In fact, many of these people, before they knew Christ, that's what they did on weekends. That's the only way they knew how to get some relief from work and the heaviness that they were facing. They looked forward to that. Those were high times to them. And Paul says, look, yeah, some of those times probably were fun in your mind, but think about what they did in the long run. Not only did it wear off, but it didn't make you better people. It made you smaller people. And it also affected many people around you. So don't get, now that you're new in Christ, there's a new way to live. And now that the Holy Spirit is living in you, don't try and look for other ways to be filled than with him. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, who used to be a doctor before he was a pastor, writes that he compares and contrasts the two states of drunkenness and the spirit's fullness. He says wine or alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant, it is a depressant. Take up any book on pharmacology and look up alcohol and you will find always that it is classified among the depressants. It is not a stimulant. Further, it depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. Those highest centers of the brain control everything that gives a person self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a person behave at their very best and highest. What the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants, for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates every, or every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. He makes us like Christ. Look, friends, if the goal, according to the Bible, is to know and become like Jesus, then the way you and I make the most of the time is to be filled with the same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus. And that is what the Bible is telling us is possible. But you have options. I have options. If you decide to be filled with something else, there's more than one way to get drunk. Some people are drunk with work. 
Some people are drunk with money. Some people are drunk with pleasure. Some people are drunk. You, you fill it in. It's possible to be filled with all kinds of things. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Second thing I hope you'll see here is that being the word filled, what does it mean? You know, because sometimes when we say filled, we get this idea that we mean that you're like, you become crazy, you know, wild and crazy if you get filled with the Spirit. And there's certainly been excesses like that. So what does it mean to be filled? If you're following along, it means to be under the influence or control of. To be under the influence or control of. So let's say you walk out of here today and say, I don't think I want to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to try some other things. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians. He says, you actually, if you decide to follow your old nature and you're filled with that and you let that control and influence you, that'll take you somewhere. Here's, how, here's where it'll take you. Then he says, but if you decide to let the Holy Spirit control you, here's where that'll take you. Now look at these verses, if you would, here on the screen. Galatians 5, 19, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life it means the idea habitually living that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, and it means God's kind of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And what's the last one, friends? Self-control. So does a person lose self-control or actually have more self-control when they're led by the Holy Spirit? He helps us live more highly than we ever could before. It's an amazing thing. There is no law against these things, he says, kind of tongue-in-cheek. So you think about that. That's what it means to be filled. And as you're following along, here's another thing. Jesus says we need his Holy Spirit. Jesus says we need his Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Jesus. And Jesus said to one of the most religious guys at that time who came to him, his name was Nicodemus, John chapter 3, I've referenced it out to the right. He says to him, he says, unless you are born again of the Spirit of God, you will never see the kingdom of God. You'll miss it, no matter how religious and moral you are. Unless your a supernatural new birth happens in your life where you're born again from the inside out with the Holy Spirit now living inside of you, you can't. You can't take part in what God has for you. You need the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, and 16, those chapters all come from the night before Jesus was crucified. So you'd be interested, wouldn't you, to know if you were one of his disciples what really was on his heart and mind? Guess what was on his heart and mind? The Holy Spirit. He wanted them to know that, that they were not going to be alone, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit so that in some ways they would actually know him better than they did then because they were still clueless about so many things. The Holy Spirit would actually, instead of being a substitute, he would magnify their understanding. So look at what it says in John 14. If, uh, it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. 
Then it goes on in verse 26, and it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's going to help you across the ticker of your mind. He will bring those things that I've said to you. He'll remind you of what I've done for you. He is an advocate. He is for you. Look at John 15, 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the helper, he will testify about who, friends? Me. J.I. Packer says the Holy Spirit is like a floodlight on a building. If you've ever seen a building that is lit up at night by floodlights, you don't go, hey, I want to see more about those lights. No, you go, what a beautiful building. See, the Holy Spirit is always saying, I want to show you Jesus because if you have your eyes on Jesus, you can do anything he asks you to do. And he does that. And he is just, that's why Jesus says, you need him to show me to you in ways that only he can. And so as I think about all that, I want to show you one more verse because it says, I'll send you another advocate. Huh. What's he mean by another advocate? Who's the first one? If he's the second one, who's the first one? Look at 1 John 2.1. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is our advocate, friends? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is our advocate who, because of what he has done in our place, on the cross, through his sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension, he now is the one who stands before the Father who advocates for us. Because of what he's done, his righteousness is enough. And he gives that to us, but he didn't just die for us, he also lives for us. And he lived the life that we didn't live, but should have lived, and now can live because he lives inside of us. Therefore, that means that he was the first advocate, but then he said, oh, it gets even better. I'll send my Holy Spirit, who also will be your advocate. And what he'll do is every time in these crazy days, you forget who you are and what I've done for you and what I can be in you, he will remind you. He will teach you. He will show you how to do life. I have great plans for you. You need the Holy Spirit. The person that's really helped me over the years teach me about the Holy Spirit is my dad. And 12 years ago, uh, he shared a testimony in one of our services about what the Holy Spirit had come to mean to him. And it was so helpful because it really capsulized some of the things that he's taught me and I thought might be helpful to you. So I want to read it to you and see if this isn't helpful. It's called The Holy Spirit in My Life. When I was in seminary training to become a pastor around 1960, I vividly remember reading a book by a well-known conservative pastor by the name of Andrew Blackwood. The title of his book was The Half-Known God. It was a book about the, about the Holy Spirit. I myself knew very little about the Holy Spirit. I had heard a lot about God the Father and God the Son, but for some strange reason, the pastors and teachers I sat under had said little about God the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it had something to do with the King James Version of the Bible on which I was raised, which used the words, the Holy Ghost. As a child that conjured up all kinds of eerie, scary thoughts, which just added to the nightmares I already had. It was not until years later that I learned in my study of the scriptures that Jesus prepared his disciples for his ascending into heaven and the Holy Spirit's coming 
by telling them in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor or advocate to be with you forever. The word translated another is a word which means another just like himself. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a divine person just like Jesus. Then suddenly in the early 1960s, the Holy Spirit hit the headlines in what became known as the charismatic movement. This movement began to spread across the country and typically, as is typical with new movements, people too often responded by going to the extreme. Some responded with great exhilaration. The Holy Spirit became the answer to all things. Others responded with uncertainty, even fear and rejection of all that the Holy Spirit had come to do. The result was a dividing of the church, both Catholic and Protestant, into two camps, the charismatics on one side and the non-charismatics on the other. It was a sad and painful time. My ministry, he writes, started during this time, and I saw the damage being done and felt the pain. But it was obvious, as I now read the scriptures, that I saw the Holy Spirit in passage after passage. If you were to list all the things we would be without, if we are without the Holy Spirit, we would be without the conviction of sin, without the personal awareness of God's love for us, without the conviction of who Christ is and the ability to know him personally, without the ability to communicate the gospel in a life-changing way, without God's ability to guide us, without an intercessor with the Father, without the gifts of the Spirit, without the fruit of the Spirit, and the pledge or inner assurance of eternal life. As I looked back on my life, I realized that it had been the Holy Spirit who had brought me to finally yield my life to the Lord at 19, who had made Christ real to me, who had opened up the scriptures as if they were written personally to me, who was enlightening my mind to the truth and giving me understanding, who was transforming me from the inside out. I realized that it was the Holy Spirit who nine months later tapped me on the shoulder, spoke to me personally, and called me into the ministry. It was the Holy Spirit who took this least likely man to be an effective pastor and equipped me and enabled me. It touches me. Since that time, I have regularly, daily prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill me, to be in control. Why? Because I've come to clearly recognize the difference when he is in control and when it is just my own feeble, even self-serving, sinful efforts. When it is him, it is wonderful. It is awesome. And that testimony has helped me and many others understand that we need the Holy Spirit and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and controlled by him instead of being controlled by our old selves. You know, when I was re reflecting back and when Trish and I were first married, one of the things we did in those early days was we read together in the morning before we went to school or work and one of the first books we ever read together was a little book called The Helper by Catherine Marshall about the Holy Spirit. And just little chapters, we'd try and read those before we went into our day. And I remember, honey, don't you, that we would talk later in the day just about 
some of the things we are more conscious of because we were learning more about him, the Holy Spirit, and what he came to do in our lives and what it would look like for him to fill us instead of being filled with other things the way we always had. And if you're interested in knowing more about the Holy Spirit, you know, we have great tools online nowadays. If you go to BibleGateway.com, you can actually do a specific search for words like the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, and you can read all the different places it shows up in the Bible. I've done that just like I did with Ephesians here in the back. It can be very helpful, and suddenly you begin to realize how much God is for us and how much he wants us to live with the resources flowing in our lives. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be like rivers of living water flowing from, you know, through us and out of us because he wants to work in that way. So notice this too, is that if you're following along, be filled with the Spirit is a plural and continuous command. Uh, it can mean go on, be being filled with the Spirit. So it's a plural and continuous command. Go on, be being filled with the Spirit. The idea here is, friends, this is being written not just to us individually, but also to us as a church family, to Christians, corporately, collectively. So therefore, what does it look like when a church collectively is filled with the Spirit? There have to have been times, surely you've sensed them, when God was speaking to us and we knew it, where we've been singing and all of a sudden we just sense, man, the presence of God is in this place. He is filling us with more than just our old selves, but the realness of Christ. And so it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Years ago, Steve and I went to Brooklyn Tabernacle where the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings, but also Jim Symbol is the pastor there. And i never forget, he spoke on this text that night when we visited. It was a Wednesday night prayer, Tuesday night prayer meeting where about 2,500 people show up in that city. And he just said, this command to be being filled. In other words, not, it's not a one-time experience. It's a daily thing of letting the Lord fill us by his spirit. This is a command, he says, that almost every Christian is okay breaking. But he says, it's a command. This is his will for us. And therefore, he ended the service by having uh, us move into the room there and find guy to guy, woman to woman. And then he had us put our hand on their right shoulder while they put their hand on our right shoulder. And he says, now here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to pray that that person that you're with would be filled freshly with the Holy Spirit. I've never forgotten that. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And uh, so that leads us into this very next thing is that what, how can we be filled with the Spirit? What does the Bible say about that? I don't know about you, but if it tells me to do something, I want to know how to do it. So our part, if you're following along, is to ask, depend on, and obey him. Our part is to ask, depend on, and obey him. You, you may say, like, like so how, how would I do this, Jeff? If I walk to my car today and I'm really wanting to do this, how do I do this tomorrow? How do I do this in the days ahead? It starts regularly just by being like a child and humbly saying, would you fill me with your spirit today? And maybe more than once throughout the day. Uh, this last week, because I've been studying this text, it's just been a great reminder to me. I've, before Trisha and I have gone different ways at the beginning of a day, sometimes I've just put my hand on her shoulder and said, oh Lord, as she goes to teach preschool, as she steps into the everyday matters of life, please fill my wife with your Holy Spirit and fill me too that we might be led, influenced, controlled by you instead of just ourselves or something else. And that's been helpful. So ask, look at this verse where Jesus says this in Luke 11. 
It says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is there anyone in this room that you don't yet know the Lord? If you don't yet know the Lord, do you realize that he's not wanting to keep something from you? He wants you to know the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as well. And if you're willing to ask your father, he will fill you with his spirit by saving you through the work of Jesus Christ and now letting the Holy Spirit seal you and come into your life and begin to know him better. If you're here and you're already a believer, this verse applies to us too. He is so generous. He wants us to know the Holy Spirit in ongoing measure, but he wants us to ask. And you and I can do that. The second thing is to depend on, to depend on him. You notice that? And this idea means is that instead of trusting in our own power, you know, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Don't just keep trafficking your own steam, your own energy. It's easy to do that, isn't it? But if we let him lead us and guide us and we go, oh, Holy Spirit, I get to do this whole day with you. To be filled with you is to be filled with Jesus. And so let's go. Let's go into this day. I want to depend on you. And a lot of times that means listening to him. How do you and I listen to him? We can do that by the means of grace. Friends, you and I, one of the reasons God's given us his word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way, is because it's one of the ways he fills us. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what's interesting about that is that the same things that are mentioned later here in Ephesians that we're going to look at in just a minute are the same things that are listed when you and I let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's the same as being filled with his spirit. And so notice that we have the common grace. We have the means of grace through the word of God, through prayer, through worship, through the fellowship of doing things in community with other believers who also have the Holy Spirit, and also through communion when we take the Lord's Supper together. These are all means of grace that you and I can use and apply in our lives. And the last thing is to obey him. We talked a couple weeks ago that it's possible to have unwholesome talk come out of our mouths or to have the spew of all kinds of forms of malice bitterness stay in our heart, but instead to put those off because they grieve the Holy Spirit. So obey him instead of grieving him. And that's part of what happens. And as you and I obey him, we keep in step with the Spirit, and he begins to give us the ability to do things we could never do on our own in the everyday matters of life. So what does it look like, by the way? What does it look like when a church, when a home, when a person is filled with the Spirit? Well, notice he gives us three marks of the Spirit filling us. The first one is singing. The first one is singing. Now, would you read the, the second gray box with me? And I want to make a, a point here. Let's read it. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's the reason I listed the English Standard Version. It's not as obvious in the New International Version, which is the one I read from earlier. But do you see that it says addressing in the first line, in the next line, singing, at the end of the second line, giving thanks, and in the fourth line, submitting? All those are present participles, which means this. 
The command is to be filled with the Spirit. But as you and I are filled with the Spirit, what's going to begin to come out of our lives is that we will speak Scripture to each other. We will sing the words, you know, we will sing praises to God. We will also give thanks to him and we will find ourselves submitting and cooperating with each other instead of being arrogant and proud. This is all what happens when you and I are filled with the spirit and rather than our old fleshly nature. And so this is a powerful thing. So let me just unpack this a little bit. One of the marks of the spirit filling us or any group of believers is singing. If you're following along, he gives us the desire to sing to the Lord. Interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but one of the marks that the Holy Spirit has really taken hold of someone's life for a group of people is that they want to sing to the Lord. And so I think back of history. If you take the Old and the New Testament, for instance, in the Old Testament, when he led the people through the Red Sea on dry land, they sang Exodus 15. Second Chronicles 20, as they went into battle, they sent singers out ahead of the soldiers who sang the praises of God. And God did something mighty through their singing. It says, as they began to sing and praise, things happened. And then in the New Testament, we see that also Paul and Silas, they get beaten with rods for speaking about Jesus, for obeying Jesus. They get beaten. And they're in the dungeon as they're in stocks, their backs and their bodies are bruised and bleeding. It says about midnight, they began to sing and pray, and the prisoners were listening. Friends, sometimes a witness that Jesus Christ has gotten a hold of a group of people is when unbelievers hear them singing. The early Christians marched to their deaths. Many of their enemies said, singing. Oh my goodness, friends. And so the question is, is it possible to come to worship services like this one week after week and never sing? if you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, but not if you're filled with the Spirit. Therefore, there may be reasons that some people don't sing. It may be that maybe someone once told you, you have a really bad voice, don't hurt people by singing. <laughs> maybe a teacher or a family member said that. Maybe that's your own opinion. Maybe again, you don't like the songs and there's a bitter spirit or there's a resentful spirit, whatever it might be. But friends, let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit fills you, people wanna sing praise to the Lord. Every revival has always been accompanied even by people who didn't normally sing before. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He said, when missionaries began evangelistic work among the Indian tribes in the high mountains of Andes and Ecuador, they were frustrated for many years by the lack of results. Suddenly the spirit of God began to move and a large number of Indians were converted within a short time. In addition to a hunger for God's word, one of the first evidences of their new life in Christ was a great desire to sing his praises. I listened as he stood for hours in their thatched roof church and sang hymn after hymn. The song from their hearts was the most inescapable characteristic that set those believers apart from everyone else in their pagan village. Oh my goodness, friends. And we're gonna give you an opportunity if you have the Holy Spirit, to sing in just a little bit. The second is gratitude. Gratitude. Notice that? That he moves us to give thanks to God. He moves us to give thanks to God. This week I was talking with a family who is going through everything breaking down. Everything seems to be going difficult in their lives. And it's a mystery to me. These people love the Lord. But every time I get off the phone with them, or walk away from being with them, 
I'm amazed that what's come out of their mouth throughout the conversation is not some staged way of saying it, but I can tell it's coming from the middle of them. They're thankful to God for his sustaining grace. They're thankful to God for his gifts amidst all the confusion. And when you and I are filled with the Spirit, one of the things he does is he makes us thankful. Grumbling and complaining cannot stay where the Holy Spirit fills a person up. It pushes it out and instead replaces it with a thankfulness. Friends, you and I have been given riches in Christ that we never deserved. And when we realize how much we didn't deserve it, and we realize how rich he's blessed us, it creates thankfulness. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18, if you would. Let's read this together here on the screen. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice the last thing here is humility. Humility or submission. Humility. He stirs us to serve one another in love. He stirs us to serve one another in love. If you look up here, Galatians 5.13 on the screen, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And when the Holy Spirit fills you and I, instead of always just thinking about ourselves, here's what I've noticed. The Lord will go, what about them? Here's what you might be able to do. Let me show you. And it shows a spirit of cooperation and submission instead of being always antagonistic and always trying to pull. I can tell the difference when the Holy Spirit is filling me and when me is filling me. And so this is a powerful thing we're going to talk about. This actually applies to marriage. We're going to see that next week. And also to parenting and the way that we work and the way that we do spiritual battles. But in closing, let me just ask this question here. Is if you walk to your car today and you're able to remember these five words and ask the Lord to show you what they mean, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit today. I don't know if that's your prayer. That's just a suggestion. But do you realize every day this week, if you're willing, if you're a follower of Christ and have trusted in Him, you can say that, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit today. And see what happens. Now, when I was younger, my brother... So good to be with you, Scott. My brother and I went through some diff different times of life where sometimes we got really down. And my brother was going through a really deep, deep, dark pit himself one time, and I had just come out of one. And during that time, I saw the power of singing. And here's what I want to say to you. Some might, might say, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Here's what I've learned. When I don't feel filled with the Holy Spirit... Sometimes I just begin to sing his praises. When I don't feel filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes I just begin to thank him for what he's done in my life. When I don't feel filled with the Holy Spirit, I begin to say, who can I serve in your name, Lord? And I've noticed that every time people come with that kind of spirit, he fills us freshly that way. Well, anyway, I, my brother came over to our apartment. This was early in our college days and just when I was getting out of college and and I said, can I sing a song to you? I don't know what else to do right now. I know you're just overwhelmed. And he said, okay. You know, you always got to be careful about that. Singing to somebody that's down, you know, going, hey, great idea. <laughs> but I, I said, this is just a song that's helped me. Maybe it would help you. I knew Scott loved to sing. So here, here it is. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace 
that bought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. And Jesus has done that for every one of us, believer or unbeliever alike, whether or not you've received that. But that's why we sing. And that's why we give thanks. And that's why we serve. And that's why we cannot afford to not be filled with the Spirit. So let's sing to him. We're going to sing three songs. Let's sing to him. Mm -hmm.